Hey guys, welcome to Ronin Rabbit. This is episode 81, and I'm your host, Ed Moore. The Ronin Rabbit is a Usaki Ojimbo fan podcast, and we do spoil the books we talk about. Feedback can be tweeted to me at Teal Productions, T-E-A-L. Google Plus page is Ronin Rabbit. I post on the Usagi Ojimbo Dojo Facebook page. Thank you, Steve. The website is bigtimenoise.com slash Rabbit, and the email address is usagipodcast at gmail.com. Dark Horse Comics, cover dated 12-1996, put out Usagi Ojimbo Volume 3, issue number 8. The story is entitled A Promise in the Snow, and we follow the exploits of Maimoto Usagi, the merchant Araki, and Uraki Fumiyi. Very tricky word there for me. So the story opens. A snowy mountain pass in Usagi. Uh, there are text bubbles as he's speaking out loud, but the way I envision it is that he's almost mumbling to himself because he's trudging through the snow. He's got snowshoes on. He's wearing a kasa, perhaps even a takuhatsu gasa. Uh, Amino, the straw cape. The uh, casa that he has is that big flat hat that sits high on the head and uh, is large enough to protect the face, but also the shoulders probably from precipitation. And he's mumbling that Genosuke told him about a shortcut through the uh, mountains, a pass, that will cut at least a week off his travel, and apparently it has not. Finally, he sees a crossroads marker, and just past it, though, a stream of tracks heading in the uh, 90-degree direction for the path that he was on there at the crossroads. Lots of people, and apparently they were moving pretty quickly, he can tell by the prints they've left in the snow, so he decides to follow, eventually runs into some blood tracks in the snow, and then a struck-down person lying face down in the snow. He rolls them over, and right before they die... They beseech Usagi to save, or he beseeches Usagi to save his master Araki, who has been been beset upon by bandits. He continues to follow the trail Usagi does, uh, saying out loud, "At least their trail is easy to follow," because there's so many people. Yeah, a little bit of humor there. Comes to a, a clearing and he sees two, four, six, seven, eight bandits being held off by a single person allowing a second person to attempt to get away. Usagi jumps into the fray, striking down bandits as he goes. The person who was defending the runner falls finally. One of the bandits gets past and falls upon the person running, strikes them down before Usagi can get to the bandit, striking the bandit down. Sheathing his sword, he bends over the individual and says, asks Merchant Araki. He's, uh, he faints before he can say anything. Usagi sees that he needs patched up and thinks, I can do something now. You know, I can do a little triage, but dude's going to need a doctor. He, he's got wounds that I can't, I can't help. In the distance, approaching, someone calls out Samurai. And Usagi at first says, huh? And he looks up. But then he says, who's there, as if he either can't see the person or he can't see them clearly. And then he beseeches them to speak. And we see it's a little girl. She says, I am Araki 
Fumiyi, this is my father. Usagi introduces himself. Fumiyi-chan, I am Mayamoto Usagi, a ronin, masterless samurai. I will help you as I can. She asks if her father will die. Usagi indicates he'll do the best that he can. She immediately falls to her knees and hands on the ground, beseeching Usagi, Please, Usagi-san, don't let my father die. Save him, please. And Usagi is taken aback um, by a couple things. One is that you know he can only do so much, and, and he's already acknowledged that. But the other is that she is so uh, direfully requesting his help, begging for his help. And he's kind of taken aback by that. She cries out, Your best is not good enough. Promise me my father will not die. And Usagi is just, you know, he, he knows he can't promise that because he can't necessarily keep the dude from dying. So he doesn't want to get into something he can't do. And she, she starts yelling, Promise me, promise me. And then says it one last time and just starts to cry. And Usagi says, Okay, okay, I, I promise. I promise I'll do everything to save your father. So he tells... Fumiyi to gather up all the other cloaks uh, that the bandits that have been killed were wearing. And using some tree limbs, he fashions a litter to drag the merchant out on. He wakes um, Araki up briefly, tells him who he is and what he's doing. And in in the midst of what he's saying, uh, the merchant tries to tell him, Fumi. Uh, but and then he just passes out because Usagi says that he and his daughter Fumiyi will help him. So they start on their journey. Um, the little girl says she knows the way home. It's it's this way, and she starts leading Usagi, dragging the merchant behind him on the litter that he fashioned, which I thought was rather ingenious, using the um, uh, straw rice straw cloaks. He lashed them, and it, that that was that was pretty good. Uh, so she leads him into a very, very dangerous mountain pass. Um, again, I thought it was interesting that if this is where he came from, then he took a very dangerous route to get wherever he had been, right, and was returning and was waylaid by the bandits. So very, very treacherous journey um, either way. So he's pulling uh, the merchant and... Seemingly, the load size of the merchant is is barely what Usagi can handle. At one point, they get too close to the edge of the pass, and it, it starts to slide over. And Usagi, you know, through through much effort, holds onto it, and he asks Fumiyi for help. And they pull the litter back up on the path, continue going. An hour later, they hear a noise, and Usagi quickly turns and, you know, looks over his shoulder to look, but also to listen momentarily, and tells Fumiyi to run. Uh, and in the midst of their running, she's trying to ask questions, and he tells her, hurry, save your breath for running. Uh, we have a panel here where the landscape is completely snow-covered, and we can see their trail, uh, and two little tiny figures. Just It kind of grabbed my attention that there was that much detail put into illustrating perhaps the difficulty that they're having. We then have panel with vibration, panel with thrown up, almost dust, but of course it's snowy, so it can't be dust, it's snow. And then we see a um, pack of tokagi uh, that are charging, and the pack seems to be very large, and Usagi is very concerned. 
even though any one tokagi is a third, maybe half the size of Usagi is. But they are overcome by the pack. Uh, he tells Fumiyi that hunger has made them bold. And I don't think that's like bold tasting, like out of New York City or any... That's a joke, sorry. Um, so the, the Tokagi start circling around Usagi and Fumiyi. Interestingly enough, in opposite flowing concentric circles. So the group closest is going, let's say, counterclockwise. And then there's a group circling in the other direction outside of that that are circling clockwise. I don't know why they're doing that, but that, that's an interesting formation. Standing ready, uh, Usagi, both swords drawn, Fumiyi, Fumiyi excuse me, clutching a, a, a branch, a, a, a piece of wood that she grabbed up from somewhere, and the Tokagi attack, we see mostly Usagi fighting them off. They're getting some nips in, getting them here and there, one on the leg, you know, one on the arm. Finally, enough are dispatched that the rest run away. And he turns to make sure Fumiyi and the merchant are okay. And she says, yes, Usagi-san, only one of them got past you. And it's it's laying there between them with the little death skull over from where she clubbed it to death. Gathering themselves, they head on out. Fumiyi in the lead, Usagi pulling the litter. She says, finally, Usagi-san, our town is just beyond that pass. He says, I don't like the look of that pass. There's too much snow up there. A Yamauba, mountain witch, could be laying in wait to bury unsuspecting travelers like us. There's a lot of superstition. Uh, this occurred to me in reading this story, however many issues into this. Uh, with the lay people, or maybe all people, of uh, Japan at this time. That strikes me as odd. Uh, my thoughts were that they weren't particularly religious, uh, but they were superstitious. They did believe in ghosts and spirits and things like that, even though perhaps they did not uh, recognize any type of organized religion. So I thought that was... I guess people nowadays would say they were spiritual, but not religious. Yeah, whatever that means. But a lot of superstitions. A very almost... Um, I've multi uh, um, polytheistic uh, that's not quite the word um, I know that Native Americans conceptually believed that every element of their world was controlled or inhabited by a spirit um, a Manitou I believe was the name of it so I, I almost think that the Japanese um, definitely as they're portrayed at this time had that same feeling that inanimate objects and acts of nature and and everything was under the direction of a spirit whether they be benevolent or malevolent i don't know just something occurred to me as i'm flipping through the book as they're walking uh we're seeing panels of the snowy covered passes the sides and the, you know that what is coming up is this is leading to ultimately some sort of avalanche situation. Usagi has said he's concerned. All the conditions are right, so we're just being led through the, the steps of an avalanche. And sure enough, it does occur. Uh, one panel here is, is really cool. We see it's about a mm, third of a page panel. And we see down at the bottom, Usagi and Fumiyi 
running through some trees and then crashing down from both sides behind them like into a funnel uh, is the snow and then starting to come down the pass towards them a, a very cinematic type of panel uh, it, it was it was pretty cool in the um in the way of the sutherlands um this is probably my favorite panel of the issue showing the starts of the avalanche as I give a nod to one of the things that they do in their shows that I enjoy so much. The avalanche uh, finally comes to a rest, and we see it build, we see it crescendo, and then we see it uh, start to diminish until there are just some little pebbles bouncing around. On top of the snow, even though they were overcome by the wave, on top of the snow we find Usagi and the uh, merchant Araki on his litter, when all is said and done. Not not partially buried, not completely buried, except for a leg. No, they're lying on top. I don't know how they managed to stay on top, but they did. Fumiyi runs up, uh, you know, g- gives the uh, Usagi Usagi, Annie Annie, are you okay? I just had CPR training, so that's in my head. Annie Annie, are you okay? Um, shake, shake, shake. She's talking to him, talking to him. Shake, 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 talk to him. N- nothing. She she gets no response. So her, her emotions go into a frenzy until she finally screams, you promised. And and the shaking and probably at this point beating on him. Um, and the screaming finally wakes him up and he mumbles and pushes himself up. Oh, I, I promised. And he grabs up the litter and starts trudging on with Fumii, uh, seemingly uninjured, uh, unaffected shall we say, even, by the snow. Leading the way, um, Usagi is is now physically hurt and physically tired, so he's stumbling until he finally falls to his knees. And She tells him, get up, get up, samurai, just a little farther. A few more feet, Usagi-san, just a little more. And we can see on in that panel, uh, there are some buildings up ahead that she is directing him to, so apparently uh, that is the village, which is their destination. We cut inside one of the buildings, uh, we see a couple people spending their evening as they are wont to spend it. Knock on the door, and the older gentleman opens the door, and Usagi just flops through. Uh, next panel, we see Usagi laying. Uh, th- this is this is another cool panel, I think. Um, he's laying under a, a very large quilt, nicely decorated. Off to the side are his two swords. Uh, on a rack, on a ceremonial rack. Um, over him, he, he's laying on a uh, a wooden block to uh, pillow his head up. And there's there's this contraption that is holding a small bag to where it just sits on his head, rather than the bag sitting with all its weight on its on his head. It, it looks like a loose bag full of like something, let's say, rice-like. Okay, so you can imagine the way the bag is, and it's it's held above his head so it just rests on his head and it's you know there's this l-shaped contraption behind him if anybody knows what that is uh give me a buzz and let me know because that's kind of a cool looking thing but he struggles out as as he awakens now and he asks um as as he's doing this somebody says ah good you're awake i was getting worried He, he asks who are you she says i am merchant araki's wife thank you samurai it is because of you that he still lives. It's incredible how you brought him back safely. All the credit should go to your daughter. Daughter? She says, I, I don't understand, Samurai. 
For me, she led me to the town. Without her, I would have been lost in the snow. And the mom is like, oh, uh, giving you an indication of something going on there. And he says, you look pale. What's wrong? Where's Fumi? Where is she? And the mother starts crying, but gathers herself and says, Fumi fell ill, and the doctors could not save her. She died a week ago. That is why my husband went to the temples to pray for her soul. And Usagi in the, has a speech bubble with just an exclamation point. So that's a, whatever, a gasp, let's say. And then he, he puts his hand over his face and he covers his head and she says, What is this, Samurai? What do you know about Fumi? Is this some sort of cruel joke? And he gets up and you see him just mumble, Dead. And he walks to the window and throws open the window and looks outside and says, I kept my promise, Fumiyi, he says out into the distance. And we are seeing between... we Okay. The ghost of Fumiyi is shimmering into disappearance. We are behind her looking at the house. So we see between the two as she kind of is going... And disappearing. Cool story. I, I like the superstition-y, wives tale kind of stories that Mr. Sakai will use every now and then. Um, it, it's it's cool to to interject that to break up the typical martialness of the story. Not that that's bad, but, you know, fighting and fighting and fighting is, is fighting. It's, you know... And, obviously, we know at this point, since the book is still coming out, that regardless of how many fights there are, Usagi must make it through them. So, you know, it's cool to see, but there's there's a part now that we know is unfortunate in a way because uh, some of the tension is gone because we know he makes it through. Um, so breaking that up with some stories that have nothing to do with whether he lives or dies but just uh, is a window into his world, those, those are nice breaks in, in the story. All right, so um, the terms that we, we saw here were Yamauba, which we were translated for as Mountain Witch, a Ronin, which we've seen before, which is a samurai with no master, the Kasa, which is the hat that he had, although we, we weren't introduced to that in the story, I threw that in there, um, to the extent that perhaps the type of hat he had is called a Takuhatsugasa, and the Mino, I believe, um, the, the straw cape that he had that ultimately he used to make the litter that he used to drag the merchant out with. All right, some more feedback this episode from Michael Takahara uh, as he commented on the repost of the episode I did on the Usagi Yojimbo Dojo Facebook page. So Steve, I believe, will like my post and then he will repost it. On, on the uh, dojo page. Michael Takahara commented on the post for episode 75.5. Dear Ed Moore, I just started listening to the Ronin Rabbit from episode 70 to 75.5. They are outstanding. I like how you have Japanese words defined in each one. I also agree that reading Stan Sakai's research notes at the end of the podcast is great. And I like your comments of what you observe. Um, like... Inazuma wearing her sword on her back, because I hadn't noticed that before. I like that I'm getting on board right at the start of Volume 3, Dark Horse Comics run, and I love that you had the Usagi Yojimbo Dojo 20th 
Ashcan comic reviewed in there too. Great job, and thanks for the entertainment. I love seeing, hearing that a fellow fan is taking their passion and contributing something great to the fandom. With gratitude, Maka. I responded, thank you so much for the feedback. I appreciate the kind words. And then um, the dojo responded, Ed Moore, Maka is the nicest person in the dojo, second only to Stan Sakai, and he always has the perfect words for whatever situation might require a comment from him, which is why he was asked to write the introduction to the Usagi Yojimbo Dojo 20th Anniversary Special this past year. Cool beans. Uh, the, the, I, I, was, I was very touched by what uh, Michael said. Thank you very much, Michael. I appreciate, uh, as I said, I appreciate the kind words very, very much. All right, guys. Next episode, episode, what is it, 82? We will be talking about Volume 3's Issue 9 from Dark Horse Comics' Usagi Ojimbo, cover dated January 1997. As we march through the next 20 years of episodes, it'll be a little while before I catch up, but hopefully the show will eventually catch up. Talk to you guys then. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, non-derivatives, 3.0, unported license.